friend, Amy here. As you know, we are off for a few weeks to return on January 4th, but I wanted to give you a little something to listen to and or think about while you wait. As you may know, I have another podcast called Bullsteadland. It's all about the seedy underworld, aka mafia, that was in Minneapolis, Minnesota in the 1920s and 30s. When I was researching this story, all I kept thinking about is that this needs to be an HBO series or Netflix or any other network that can produce a good quality show because it's fascinating. Who would have thought that little old Minneapolis could have such amazing stories in its history? So I'm going to play for you the first episode of Volstead Land, which is really more of an intro to the show. And then right after that, I'll play the next episode. If you're interested in the rest of the story, you can find Volstead Land on any podcast app. I hope you enjoy it. Happy holidays, and we'll see you in 2024. When I was a child, I ran for them. Welcome to Volsteadland. This season, which is the first of, I hope, many, we will explore the life of the notorious gangster from Minneapolis, Minnesota, called Kid Can. We are your hosts. I'm Amy. And I'm Heather. So, Amy, why are we here? What started all of this? Well, several years ago, my husband and I were preparing to sell our house in uptown Minneapolis. Our friends slash realtors, a husband and wife team, were at our home hosting an open house. The wife, my friend Melissa, had a strange experience in the mostly empty home, which led to my learning about this Minnesota mobster. Neither she or I had ever heard of him before this event. Her experience is fascinating, and we'll cover that too. But it led me down a path to learning all about Isidore Blumenfield, or Blumenfeld, a.k.a. Kid Can, a.k.a. a bunch of other aliases. And I thought, this story is not well known, but it should be, and I felt like it was just too good not to share. So I decided to create this podcast. Just a disclaimer here. This podcast is not meant to glorify organized crime or this man personally. We understand that Kid Can and his crew caused a lot of pain to a lot of people. And we don't want to downplay that. We just found his story really interesting and thought you might too, whether or not you have ties to Minneapolis. Heather, do you want to give us just a little taste of what we'll be covering in this series? Sure. In the Prohibition years of Minneapolis, Minnesota, there was an underworld. Gangs of bootleggers, bandits, sluggers, and murderers roamed the streets and conducted their business. One of the most legendary figures of that time was Isidore Blumenfeld, also known as Kid Can. He began as a newsboy, but grew into the most notorious gangster Minneapolis had ever known. And either a raging psychopath or the nicest guy you've ever met, depending on who you ask. Volstead Land explores this world. 
Join us as we journey through this era of prohibition, bootlegging, speakeasies, and bank robberies, not to mention corrupt police and government officials, empty promises, and murders. What I found so interesting about all of this is how Kid Can was able to wiggle out of nearly every scrap he got himself into. Spoiler alert, it pays to have friends in high places. Our research has been gathered mostly online from articles, forums, and newspaper archives, but also from books and first-hand accounts, or at least the passed-down stories from first-hand accounts. He was most prolific in the 1920s and 30s, so most of the people associated with him, sadly, have since passed. If you or anyone you know have any stories about Kid Can from your own life, we'd love to hear them and maybe include them in the podcast, anonymously, if you wish, of course. Please email us at volstedland at collectedsounds.com or reach out using the phone number in the show notes and leave a voicemail. Don't worry, no one answers that line. We just check voicemails and texts. Also, be sure to check the show notes for links to all our socials, as we'll be posting case files, photos, and other fun extras. You can find us on your favorite podcast app or on Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts. We'll end today with the full version of the theme song. This is The Last Prayer to Isidore Blumenfeld by Paolo Four Lee. I discovered this song while researching Kid Can on YouTube, but that's a story for another episode. Wait.
Welcome to Volsteadland. We are your hosts. I am Amy, and this is Heather. Hello. Join us as we take a trip back in time to the 1920s and 30s in Minneapolis and discover the city's underworld. We just wanted to introduce ourselves. We met, God, how long ago? I don't know, probably five or six years ago, that maybe. That's about right, yeah. And we're not sure which bar we met at, but it, it was a bar. Yep, it's always sure. a bar. It's always a bar. And we know that we started chatting at Sushi Tango on a Sunday. They used to do a Sunday fun day, and it was happy hour all day. Mm-hmm. And it was a great deal. And they had dollar oysters. Mm-hmm. Yes. Anyway, so this episode is probably going to be a little shorter than some of the future ones because we are going to break up some of the bigger things into segments uh, there's some stuff that's pretty lengthy, and it's going to take more than the length of time we expect anyone to sit and listen to us talk. <laughs> so um, we'll be splitting some stuff up. But this one, we just wanted to do a little intro, talk about a little about who we are. And um, most of you have probably already heard the extended trailer, the introduction, so you know uh, why we're here and what we're doing. Uh, This story all takes place in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I know that some of you may not be familiar with Minneapolis and where it is, what it's like now, and or what it's, well, we're going to tell you what what it was like back in the day, but so Heather has prepared a little overview, perhaps, overview, (laughs) that's a good (laughs) word, of Minneapolis for us. Okay. Um, So Minneapolis has several nicknames, including Mill City, the Twin Cities, the Minneapolis, Water City, or City of Lakes. And Minneapolis is the most populous city in Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota is known as the land of 10,000 lakes. But despite what the license plates say, there are actually 11,842 lakes, 22 of them in Minneapolis proper. And legend has it that these lakes were forged by Paul Bunyan's footsteps. Footsteps that passed through Lake Wobegon, walked by a little house on the prairie, traveled past Snoopy's doghouse, and of course created the purifying waters of Lake Minnetonka. Of course. We got the Prince reference in there. (laughs) Minnesota became a state in 1858, and Minneapolis was incorporated in 1867. Um, The census in 1870 was just over 13,000, and in 2019, it was estimated to be around 430,000. People who aren't from here 
um, have always asked me, how can you stand the winters? Minnesota is known for its harsh winters. The lowest recorded temperature was in January of 1888. It was a frosty 41 degrees. My glasses are fogging up just thinking about that. Below zero, right? Negative 41 degrees. I was going to say 40 degrees sounds lovely in the winter. My goodness, we all be in shorts. Okay. Negative 41 degrees below. (laughs) The snowiest winter on record was the um, winter of 1983-84 when a whopping 98.6 inches fell to the ground. The water city we call Minneapolis was developed around St. Anthony Falls, the highest waterfall on the Mississippi River. Um, The forests of northern Minnesota created a thriving lumber industry powered by this water. The plains to the west of the Mississippi provided grain to Minneapolis's 34 flour mills. And Amy, here's an obscure fact I bet you didn't know. Due to the occupational hazards of milling, six competitors manufactured artificial limbs by the 1890s. Wow. Thank you, Wikipedia. (laughs) I did not know that. (laughs) There's a lot I could say about Minneapolis and its rich history. And of course, this podcast will be exploring the bootlegging and the seedy underworld of organized crime. I moved here from Massachusetts after college 29 years ago to pursue a career in theater, and as it turned out, that wasn't the path I ended up taking, but I stayed here because I fell in love with the city. The lakes, the theater scene, the music, I even sort of call myself a Vikings fan. It's a place I'm happy to call home. Great. And we're glad you're here. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've lived here all my life, and there's not much of a story there. So should we just dig in? I'll get yeah. Why give you don't some. You, why don't we just dig in? All right. Okay. So Isidore Blumenfield arrived in Minnesota in 1902 with his parents Philip and Eva when he was just about a year and a half old. He was born on September 8th, 1900, in a shtetl of Romania called Remeniku Sarat. His dad was a furrier, and he settled his family in North Minneapolis. Isidore was an only child at this point, but the family would soon grow to eight total. He ended up with two brothers, Harry and Yiddy. Uh, Yiddy's real name was Isaac, and three sisters, Ethel, Anne, and Marion. Because his family was quite poor, Isidore started working at a young age. He dropped out of school when he was just 15. He had only completed the fourth grade, though. He started selling newspapers on the streets of downtown Minneapolis on Newspaper Row. Uh, For those of you who are familiar with Minneapolis, Newspaper Row was on 4th Street and Nicollet Avenue. Right now what's there is an XL Energy, two XL Energy buildings that are uh, across the street from each other, a condominium, and a couple of parking ramps. I believe all the old buildings have since been replaced. Back then, paperboys had to battle for the best selling locations. So I'm guessing that's where he started learning about gangs and how to maneuver through them and manipulate people. He also admitted to picking up and reselling bus tokens and began running errands for the pimps and madams of Minneapolis's red light district. Apparently, there have been three red light districts in Minneapolis, but at least at this time in 1915, 1920-ish, I think it was Hennepin Avenue and about 4th Street. What's there now is the Hennepin County Library, and kitty quoting from that is the Gay 90s nightclub. The newspapers and the police always called him Kid Can. There are a few stories about why he was called this. 
One was that he did a short stint as a boxer, and this was his boxing name. I've seen articles that say he was never a boxer, but he himself sticks to this story. But he was a big fat liar, so who knows? (laughs) Another story is that whenever trouble went down, he would be found hiding in the bathroom, known as the can. But this doesn't really seem like his style. From what I could tell, he really likes the action. Another more plausible story is that he always just said he was in the can during the time of the murders or when other bad things he was associated with took place. This makes more sense to me. As you will learn, this guy had an alibi for everything. But he hated the nickname and rejected all the stories, saying in a 1976 interview, 90% of what is written about me is bullshit, which was the original name for this podcast (laughs) until we got banned from Instagram (laughs) and had to change it. Uh, He actually preferred to be called Fergie, which may or may not have been short for Dr. Ferguson. There's a theory that he chose Ferguson because it sounds like the German Vergessene. He liked it when people forgot or pretended they had never seen him, except when he told them to remember seeing him. I was able to confirm from a source that he was always called Fergie, but this person only knew him in the 60s, and I'm not sure if he used it when he was young, too. So, for the sake of ease in this podcast, I'm going to refer to him as Izzy. I can't imagine he would like that any better than Kid Can. (laughs) But I don't really care. (laughs) Izzy. It's kind of cute. It's cute. And you probably would hate that because it's cute. Izzy kept Blumenfeld. Actually, it was Blumenfield. He kept being called Blumenfeld, and I think he just sort of went with it, even though his name is officially Blumenfield. And it says on his grave, spoiler alert, He's dead now. (laughs) Um, It does, on his grave, it does say Bloom and Field. Yet his brothers are Bloom. B-L-O-O-M. Skip the shopping struggle. Get curated outfits picked by stylists who know your taste. We recently tried Wantable and I love everything about them. They sent me a box full of stuff and... I think I kept three of the items and returned the rest. However, I noticed after I had sealed the bag and scheduled a pickup that I had forgotten to return an item and was so worried that I would be charged for it. I reached out to Wantable and immediately they sent me a different return label to package up the item that I had forgotten to send. Not only is their stuff top tier, high quality, adorably cute garments, but their customer service is top notch. I 100% will continue using them. I've already purchased and received my second box, and I look forward to many boxes from them. Get $25 off your first order by going to theactivitycontinues.com slash wantable. Free shipping and returns. Wantable edits your style. Unleash the power of stories anywhere, anytime with Audible. Immerse yourself in gripping stories, insightful knowledge, and captivating characters anytime, anywhere. Audible is your library on the go. With hundreds of thousands of titles across every genre, there's a world of reading waiting for your ears. Listen while you cook, clean, or commute. Free your eyes to conquer your day all while feeding your mind. Start your 30-day free trial today and discover the joy of listening. Go to audibletrial.com slash TAC. That stands for The Activity Continues. 
With your free 30-day trial, you get one credit, two credits if you're a Prime member, good for any premium selection titles you like, yours to keep. You get the Audible Plus catalog of podcasts, audiobooks, guided wellness, and Audible originals. Listen all you want. No credits needed. Again, that is audibletrial.com slash TAC. I'm going to preface all of this by saying all this shit happened a hundred plus years ago. Obviously, I was not there, nor was anyone still alive today. So I've been getting all my info from newspapers and books. And here's the problem. Books tend to have an agenda. The writer has their story to tell. And newspapers, well, they just flat out lie and make up shit. They have papers to sell, so they print what will sell. And I also have realized that they spell things wrong all the time. So the newspapers are really um, not a super reliable source, but I don't have a lot else right now, which is why I've been begging the public to uh, come to me with any any stories that they might have uh, from their, their parents, or their grandparents, anything that um, they have as a personal story, because I think that would help flush this stuff out a bit. Because there are a lot of holes to these stories. I do believe there were some major cover-ups in this era, as it was known that there was a high level of corruption going on on the government and police level. So I'm just piecing it all together as best I can. This is why I'm reaching out to you, dear listener, in the hopes that you have some info that may be valuable to our story. Contact us via the email and phone number in the show notes or at any of our socials. May 22nd, 1920 is where our story really begins. His life of crime started out slow with his first arrest for being in a disorderly house. He was 19. His typed up criminal record that was sent to me by a source says sentence 5-5 paid. And according to an article by Paul McAbee, it means he paid a $5 fine. So Amy, I'm really curious. Yeah. What is a disorderly house? Disorderly house. It is. sounds like fun. It does. And it, it may be. <laughs> Um, one article I read just said it sounded like they were, it was probably that he was partying too loud, but I looked it up and according to the free legal dictionary, it means a place where individuals reside or where they frequent for purposes that pose a threat to public health, morals, convenience, or safety. And that may create a public nuisance. A disorderly house is an all-inclusive term that may be used to describe such places as a house of prostitution, an illegal gambling casino, or a site where drugs are constantly bought and sold. It is any place where unlawful practices are habitually carried on by the public. Hmm, that does sound like fun. <laughs> it's got everything. <laughs> that should be a, a new nightclub. <laughs> The newest nightclub is the Disorderly House. <laughs> it has everything. Okay. And then uh, just a month later, on June 11th, 1920, he was arrested for, quote, working crowds at a Norwegian church gathering at the Armory, end quote. From what I gather, working crowds is just a cute way of saying pickpocketing. He was held for one night. It appears these small petty crimes didn't earn him enough to keep his family afloat, especially since his father died in 1923 and being the eldest child of six, he had to step it up. In the timeline, Prohibition had started. From an article written by Paul McAbee, within months, Prohibition transformed Kid Canned from a small-time pickpocket into a rum-running venture capitalist. 
Jewish kids didn't have a lot of choices. They weren't allowed the jobs that non-Jewish kids were. But we're going to concentrate on his bootlegging and liquor stuff in the next segment. So um, in 1923, the Payne Avenue Bank in St. Paul was robbed. The reason this is in here at all is that he was arrested in connection with this robbery. And as I read more and more about it, I realized that his name sort of dropped off of the list of suspects. They talked about him being arrested. They talked about holding him in connection with this. And then you read the next day's newspaper and they're naming three other guys Hmm. and completely stopped talking about the names uh, of the guys that originally were arrested. And so I just kept digging more about this and uh, whether or not this had a whole lot to do with him, I find this whole bank robbery and the stuff that happened afterwards quite interesting. And I think it kind of explains a little bit about what was going on in the city and with the um, officials and how things covered up. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And not that I'm saying that, that, you know, well, maybe I am. We'll see. (laughs) Anyway, uh, we decided to stop here today and save the details of the bank robbery for next time. The reason being, after I got all the info and rescheduled the recording a few times because I wasn't ready, we finally recorded the bank robbery portion. After editing it, I realized it was quite long, so I think it deserves its own episode. If you're on pins and needles, you can Google it. Just kidding, you can't. Well, you can, but you won't find much. So please subscribe, and then when we drop the next episode, you'll get it as soon as it's released. Until then, thank you for listening, and I hope you join us next time on Volstead Land. Volstead Land is produced by me, Amy, and is part of the Collected Sounds Podcast Network. The theme music is by Paolo Forlì, and the background music is by Canal Elanian. Okie doke.